0: We're starting a series on Celtic spirituality, starting with St. Patrick's Week. It's more than green beer, believe it or not. And even though the Chicago River will be green here this week, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about other things that are green. I'm dressed in green. I don't know about anybody else, but you've got till Tuesday to get that on. And this is going to be in th- the three weeks that we're together on this. It's going to be kind of a A multi-approach, and it's going to be experiential in the sense that you're going to get to participate in some Celtic-style worship, and I know that the choir, some of the choir members are coming in to help us with that, and and Dr. Kendall's going to help us with that as well, so everybody needs to get a hymnal. If you don't have one, get that now, and we're also going to have some historic kinds of things. We're going to talk about St. Patrick today. And in the, in the next couple of weeks, St. Columba, uh, St. Aidan, St. David, and we'll, we'll actually do a little trivia. You can figure out uh, some of these different saints. And we're going to enter into some experiential Celtic-style prayer together. And unfortunately uh, for us, but very fortunately for, for Dave DeVries, our pastor here, he gets a day off. And so it becomes a real Sabbath for him in the sense that he gets at least to rest. And, I, and we trust that he's worshiping as well. But he won't be with us today. He's, you know, that sabbatical was a long time ago. He needs another day off. So we're, we're <laughs> grateful to give that to him. But he was going to be here today. I've got something to hand out on, that he gave us from Celtic Theology. And he's going to be back the next two weeks helping us with some of that as well from, from some of his sabbatical. So Dave Kinzel... We, we absolutely love you and what you do here, and we are all the beneficiaries of what you do for us. And on this day that he's got all this major choir stuff going on, he still is coming in. And I just appreciate you, Dave, appreciate your spirit. Well, but it, help us yeah, today. It starts,
1: is this working? No. It starts by uh, my gratitude to Mary Lou Berg for uh, kindly coming even earlier to play the 8 o'clock service and and I I know you don't get to enjoy her talents often enough so thanks Mary Lou for doing that. Um, So uh, it it felt weird I thought when I was pulling into the parking lot I thought oh my gosh I forgot to change my clocks today so yeah. Um, What we're discovering is wonderful value in the Celtic tradition of understanding uh, God's presence in all of our lives and all of nature. And um, I think if you've had a chance, and you, you will get more chance, to begin to understand how that happened. When Patrick went to Ireland and to the Celtic regions, he, as along with um, many other saints like Columba, realized that to convert these Druids and these uh, pagans to Christianity, it could not be just to come in and conquer. It would have to be come in in and learn to be in their midst, to understand their whole culture. And that's how they slowly converted uh, folks to really appreciate uh, the tremendous salvation grace of Christ. So, the hymns, the songs that we have, uh, are perhaps for our Reformed theology at first a bit shocking. About oh my gosh, that sounds so far away from what we've been taught. But let's begin with looking at one the quintessential Celtic song by uh, that we attribute to Saint Patrick. Timely, of course, Tuesday is the day we remember. Uh, that saint in much of the world. Now, in our hymnal, let's open it up. Let's be sure we can appreciate the work of the uh, the hymnal committee over the years until its final publication uh, a year and a half, two years ago. And they wisely, I think, decided that the opening section of the hymnal should be about the fundamental of our faith, that is the triune God. So you're looking at the opening hymns, and you're seeing Uh, that heading up at the top and of course why not have holy 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 as hymn number one makes great sense musically theologically keep leafing through come thou almighty king these are trinitarian hymns and we get to number six and the very incipit of the text is a bit shocking i bind unto myself my golly that's not a language we're used to is it um you also know that this hymnal is rich in fundamentals of information. Look at the bottom of the page. I'm, I'm hearing from you to s- that you like to notice these things uh, on a weekly basis. I'm very much encouraged by that. The great Trinitarian text belongs to a Celtic style of hymn known as lorica from the latin word for armor or breastplate in effect it serves as both a statement of faith and a prayer for god's protection the two tunes are named for an irish saint and an irish heroine now i have to explain what that means look at verse five it's over on the right bottom half verse five traditionally in this song which is uh, decades and decades, maybe more than a century that we've been singing this, uh, typically that is a different tune there because it is so shockingly different from the other verses of this hymn. But it was indeed a part of Patrick's lorica, his breastplate. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, beside me, Christ to win me, to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, above me, in quiet and in danger, in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. There again is a nice summary of Celtic theology. Uh, And you have heard our choir sing that text often as a benediction response. Uh, We've used other tunes and other music for that. Well, we're going to enjoy singing this but I uh, the first caveat is typically we do it slower than the Irish tradition would ask because it's it is a, a bit of a task to negotiate all these words and however, it is a, f- a an Irish fun dance tune. I'm going to first show you how it can be fun. It would be much like this. that that kind of dance lilt is going to be a little bit hard for us to, d- to deliver the text. Very briefly, I'll, sh- I'll play just a little bit of a typical cathedral kind of sound. And this, by the way, hymn- this hymn is in 40 hymnals of uh, only just the American tradition, um, but it's in most European hymnals as well. And uh, typically it's sung for Trinity Sunday. Uh, which would be in the spring. Here is just a little bit of uh, a congregation s- and a choir singing it because I I think it will help, uh, help us understand the grand nature of the text.
2: Here is the speaker.
1: That's a fair question. Um, our choir did r- sing this in a concert, uh, but I couldn't remember what year, and I couldn't. 2005. 2005? <laughs> I, I should know to call on my choir members and, and their spouses to help me And groupies. Um, I orchestrated it. We uh, had strings. And uh, my office is a mess. I can't find it. No, I, I saw that recording. I didn't know it was on that concert.
2: So, the grand nature
1: of this is one that the musical fabric is meant to be a lot more difficult. Okay. We must move on. You've got a sense of the cathedral nature of that. Let's take a take a stab at it ourselves and enjoy it. Now, I know what it's like. People say, "I don't sing." Well, you can follow the words. You can add your own part. That God will bless. I'm sure. Um, but let's stand up and get physically involved because God's presence, Christ's presence, is in and through all of us. It's not out there somewhere else. It's right here. Do your best. Absorb the imagery of this fabulous, fabulous text. Verse 2, can you find it? Number, no, verse 3, three, three I, I bind unto myself today the virtues of, then one go. and I want to take a moment to explain thank you Rich I wanted t- t- that verse is the, again an example of how the the need to take what is common in the lives of our of our culture and say here is the divinity in that so the metaphors um, the uh, analogies are really evident. You know, the rocks, the, the mountains, the lightning. Uh, this is an important part of Celtic theology. Uh, do we have time to fin- go on? Or we, uh, okay, All right. because this, this teaches us so much. Number four, I bind unto myself. shift. Here's Christ right in our midst. Slower, bum, 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 and Christ be with you. Back to the Trinity, verse 6 and 1, go. Good singing, folks. Thank you. Well done. Beautiful. Good. Let's be on with our class now. Thank you.
0: That's going to be hard to follow. And the, and David shows us every time why we love them? That's excellent, very excellent. And next week, St. Columba and David will be back, and we will be moving through the various saints. If you've just walked in, we're starting in a three-week series on Celtic spirituality, and we're taking the time of St. Patrick's Day to kind of kick us off, and we will be talking about St. Patrick today. And there's a couple other things we're going to be doing experientially, if you can... Later today, we're going to come to a, a, a Celtic prayer. And the Celtic-style prayer is very Trinitarian. And it is also experiential in that you will be participating in that. And there will be some things that will be laid out. And then you will be able to add, either silently or aloud, to it. Your, your particular adding to it as we ask to pray for this or that. And then you will bring names of people or you will bring... The kinds of uh, experiences that you 're having in your life and apply it to that prayer and you 'll see this breastplate come through in that in that prayer at the end of our time today and each week we 're going to expose you to a little different kind of Celtic prayer to help you get involved in it, and you may want to even take some of these and incorporate them into your own personal um, daily worship and your your daily Meditations uh, in the Celtic tradition. It's often called the morning watch and the evening watch And so when you start the day off the morning watch is to get us going and the evening watch To, to close to have the closure of the day and the watch is that we are watching our soul So that we always are in front of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ So that we never never stray very far we're always in touch with the Holy Spirit's promptings and leadings. The other thing that we're going to be doing is we're going to be t- comparing a little bit about the, the Celtic and Roman approach to spirituality and to evangelism, evangelistic disciple-making is how I like to talk about it. And it's th- this shouldn't be this shouldn't be uh, in your mind when we come to that, saying that it's Protestant versus Catholic uh, because they were all Catholic at that point. And there there were different expressions within Catholicism of how you went about this. And David already explained that the Celtic evangelists, the Celtic saints, they approached how to reach these pagan peoples in a different way than had come out of Rome. And they were absolutely, amazingly effective. Think about as pagan a society as you can possibly imagine in terms of things like child sacrifices to the gods and uh, just absolute chaos and and this Druidic society in which the, the, these Celtic saints came into and that they they absolutely dominated in terms of the entire culture becoming Christian. And I'd like to start off a little bit, if you have scripture with you, whether electronic or hard copy, and turn to First Corinthians 9. This is a lot of what it was based on. When St. Patrick went to Ireland and St. Colombo went to, to Scotland, Iona, where uh, both of our Davids have gone and where my wife and I have been, uh, you, you see how this moves on and then from then there up to Northumbria and, and in England. But this this is the concept. And this is where they this is where they got this from the scripture in chapter nine of First Corinthians. And if you're unfamiliar with the with this passage, you'll understand that this would have been written if if the person that wrote it, who was the Apostle Paul, if if he was alive today, it'd be somebody like uh, Billy Graham, or the Pope, or T.D. Jakes, or somebody in your culture that is, is the religious leader of the day. And he's writing it to, to the, the wealthiest city in, in the entire world, the most cosmopolitan city, if you will, uh, even more so than Rome. And he's writing it to a, a group of very diverse people. And he begins in verse 19, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to write these things. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. And then he goes on to to using this athletic analogy, which I really like, of course. And it's almost like, I just explained to you that you need to to go and become everything to anybody, and now I'm gonna give you an example of that. You can even go to athletes. (laughs) You can even use athletic metaphors to win the athletes. And don't the athletes need to be won? Um, You get a sense here of what David was saying to us, right? That that the Celtic evangelist went out and tried to incorporate their entire efforts, and, the, and in with their, the culture that they were going to. Let's, uh, let's uh, pray just quickly, and then we'll, we'll jump into some other things here. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for David Kinzel. We thank you for our choir. We thank you for all the musicians, even Mary Lou that played earlier today, as he mentioned. And we pray, Lord, that you would be especially upon them this day Holy Spirit, fall upon them in a supernatural way this day as they lead in worship and through this passion today. We pray, Lord, that those that are coming to this service today would be touched by something that is sung, spoken, read, prayed, that today that they might encounter the holy three-in-one in in a new and a fresh way that they may even want to come back and join in this community as a result of what goes on this day. In this worship this morning, in this afternoon. We do pray for our sister Debbie as she brings your word today and the entire uh, group that brings about that worship. And Lord, just now we pray that you would come and be amongst us as we learn from those who have gone on before us about how we can serve you, about how we can follow you, about how we can love you in deeper and richer ways. We pray all these things, O Heavenly Father, for your glory and in the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Holy Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Let's talk about this man, St. Patrick. Uh, There's three books that I would refer you to that I think are fairly easy reading, all in all. Uh, Dr. George Hunter has written a, a great book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. Uh, Excellent, uh, excellent book. And then there's also St. Patrick's World by Liam Poor, and that's P-A-O-R spelled Liam, Liam, L-I-A-M, Poor. And then Recovering the Past by John Finney. Recovering the Past by John Finney. I think all of these would be helpful. So you see the birthplace of St. Patrick and and, uh, the castle there that is often uh, attributed to him. And here's some background that people don't realize. Everybody thinks that he's he's Irish. He's actually English. And his grandfather, at least, and maybe his father as well, were were both, uh, they were priests in the Roman Catholic tradition. But he, like many of us in those early days, don't follow how Mom and Dad and Grandpa leads. Got a little away from it, And some would have said that his kidnapping was a uh, God trying to get his attention. And so these Irish marauders came in, kidnapped him, and took him to Ireland, and he was sold into slavery to Meluic, who was a Druidic priest. And he had uh, the opportunity, shall we say, to, to shepherd the sheep of this Druidic priest. He was obviously not very excited about that, and he began to pray to that God of my grandfather. And those of us that are grandparents, those of us that are parents, never overlook living your life in such a way. You may think that they're far away, but your faithful living and your faithful praying will make an impact. Continue to live the life. Continue to pray for them. And continue to invite them and try to create an atmosphere for evangelistic conversation with them. Because they respect you and they love you, as did St. Patrick. But now he's on that hillside, sleeping out in nature, and one night he has a dream. And the dream is, that there's a ship in the harbor that has come to take him away. He thought it might have been a spiritual ship and that he needed to get right to go to heaven and he woke up, the ship was in the harbor. And he went down and said, can you take me back to England? And they did. And he went back home. And he had this spiritual awakening and then when he was back in in England, he, he was saying, okay, but is this enough just to believe? And he said, no, I feel called into the ministry. I feel a definite call. And he, he called it his Macedonian call after Paul, when Paul was on the road to Macedonia and Christ just broke into his life. Now, he was 48 years of age there, 48. Uh, the average life expectancy, as best I can tell, was 35 to 40 Now, a lot of that was tragic death. It wasn't that they didn't live into older age, but this was, for the time, a fairly elderly man. And where do you think he felt called to go to? Obviously, back to Ireland. And so many times in our life, God gives us these, these times in which we gain an affinity for something he knew the language he knew the culture he knew everything because he had lived there he had seen it and his heart broke for them because they did not know this god is this a little different than the saint patrick you're used to seeing on the news about this time of years he goes back into ireland and made an incredible difference Here's some of his philosophical principles of which he began to build his ministry upon. He was incredibly politically savvy. He realized that if he went and won over the political leaders of the community, that that would give them access, give them access to changing the whole culture. Now, when I've spoken here before, I talked to you a little bit about one of our sister churches in in downtown Cairo, and you remember i've i've shared how that the one of the people in that presbyterian church there was the right-hand person to the mayor of the city and he would often wait until the mayor got a little bit tipsy if you will drinking on the job and then would slip certain things in that he would sign including one day the the rights, I'm not sure what they called it, for the Presbyterian Church to build their church. And suddenly that church starts to rise up. Patrick would have said, Absolutely. We try to really have an impact on those political leaders. And he did this. He would go into communities, he would have that kind of influence. The second thing is incarnational. Now, that's a, a phrase that. It's been used a lot. For those of you that are aware of this uh, a ministry, it's called Young Life. And Young Life has had about seven or eight decades now. Terry might know better than I. Uh, and it was started by a Presbyterian minister out of Dallas. And it has spread around the world. And they talk about the incarnational approach. They call it winning the right to be heard. And I know Jack and Phyllis were very involved in that and others around the room. And the incarnational approach means that we put on the flesh. We actually go live where people live. And Patrick would go and live right where people lived. It wasn't some monastery someplace. Pitched his tent with those who lived in tents. And he practiced what was called the the ministry of hospitality we we have our uh, some some friends that that are jehovah's witnesses and they have found out that it takes 200 knocks on the door to get one person to even consider coming to their religious activities but for every two people that they get into their house for dinner One out of every two comes to their church. The Ministry of Hospitality, you say, I can't be an evangelist. Model yourself after St. Patrick. Feed people, just have them come in the house. And what they're gonna find out is there's something about these people that I need to find more out about, and maybe it's that church that they go to. You don't even have to talk about church. Just be hospitable. And then the second ministry that he, that he practiced and taught was the ministry of conversation. <laughs> now, men don't do that. Uh, hey, come on over and let's talk. No, let's go fishing. Okay, I'm there. And what do they do all day? They talk. <coughs> men often have to start with the activity, but it's still the conversation that needs to happen. And this was some of St. Patrick's philosophical principles. Meet the perceived need, meet the perceived need. Right here in Canton, Ohio, and this was about 100 years ago now, the YMCA realized that there were a lot of people that were moving into the city off of the farmland and they were needing to be retrained. And so they started an auto mechanics class and school for some of these young men. And as they were coming into town and learning how to work on the auto mechanics, meeting the perceived need, why are you taking this course? Well, my family needs my family needs some money and I gotta get a job. How long's it been since you've seen your family? It's been a couple months. Spark plug has changed and what would, what would we need to do to, to... You get the picture. The YMCA met the perceived need so that they had a chance to talk to people about Jesus. And the y, when, you started, when the Y started off, you couldn't be a member of the Y if you didn't have what was called an Andrew list. An Andrew list was the people who you wanted to lead to Jesus Christ. And this was all part of what the YMCA did, right here in our own community. The, meeting a the perceived need, this is what Patrick's philosophy was. He would, he would do this in a lot of different ways. The, the rivers weren't producing the fish, he would go down to the river and pray that God would bring the bounty of the harvest of the fish. He would pray for those who were sick, he would mediate the government. We didn't have the judicial system now. He would mediate between people. They would come. They would know that he would be fair. And all of this was this relational evangelism that they just became friends, one-on-one. I think, I think we've lost something in this that we have to have this preacher up front, and that's, all, that's the total extent of our evangelism. Now, of course, we all know that that we we need preachers, and I'm not at all saying we don't. But each one of us, one-on-one, has an opportunity with our friends just to invite them into our home, invite them to the concert this afternoon, the worship experience that they'll have there. And then there's something else that they did that he captured very much that I think that this church really follows in the heels of. And that is that he used the visual arts to communicate. The Celtic cross, think of that. The Celtic cross is a very significant symbol. You can see they served the Celtic druids and all served the orbs, the sun and the moon and the circle of life. And, and that everything that, that you know, came out of that orb that we call earth, so they worshiped the earth. All this was a circle. And so what Patrick started and other Celtic evangelists followed in was saying, that is something that we need to embrace. We need to embrace the fact that these orbs are out there and there's lots that we can learn on, learn from them. But we place the cross on top of them. Because the cross is a higher, representative of a higher God, the God that created all the orbs. And so they incorporated the culture, but they never got away from the superintendency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And through the visual arts, they began to help people understand the gospel. And the dramatic arts, they used the drama, they used the, the, the visual arts. And so you'll see this throughout the Celtic uh, experience. And so this relational and helping people through these one-on-ones and through these visual arts. And then his philosophy was that we are to build a church. He realized that Paul and Barnabas were not sent out to create and, and start up paraministries. They were to plant churches. And I would encourage us here at Christ Church, where can we plant a church? Where can we plant a church? How can we do that? This planting of churches is so important to the ongoingness of Christianity. This was his model. And what he did, how he did this, was that he would go into a community and he would live there, he would meet these needs as we talked about it, and then through that, he would establish a Christian community. And through coming to that community, people would then begin to experience Christ, and then they would say, how how can I become one of you? And then he would take those who were coming to faith, disciple them, and ask them to follow also in leadership he would then take those people with him to the next place and train them in leadership. And when they had matured enough, as he moved from place to place, he would leave them as leaders. This is how he planted churches. And there's a real significant philosophy to this because there's oftentimes people that are coming to Christ that are so entrapped where they are. Think about the story about Lazarus. This is kind of where he got this. Lazarus is in the tomb. And Jesus calls him to life. But what does he tell the people? He says, go and unwrap him. Because if he keeps the grave clothes on, he's gonna die again. And so this is what happens within the community. But sometimes we're so into that old life, right where we are, sometimes we need to move away to get a new start. Think about people who are drug addicted or, or into some, some really hard communities with where they live. Sometimes they need to go to detox, so to speak. This is the kind of thing that he was doing. And then when they became ready to be leaders, he would leave them as leaders. And so this leadership development is a lot of his philosophy. Now here's some of how he really began to communicate it. And this is where it comes to us how we can contextualize the things that are going on around us and how we can make spiritual contacts with people. They had, the, the, Celtic, the Celtic barbarians had an incredible fascination with triads. So the three-leaf clover, think about that. That's always part of a St. Patrick's Day imagery, right? Oh, God has prepared you that he is three in one. Three leaves, but all of the, of the same. The essence is the same, but three manifestations. They, be, they believed in complexities, that, that God was, that, that not God, but that life was complex. And he talked about that God is very complex. In fact, God is very sophisticated. And, and the gods that they worship were very simple. But no, this God is very complex, he's understandable to some degree, we will never comprehend him totally. And even that was the teaching point. This God is so complex in the sense that he is never totally knowable, because if he wasn't like that, then he wouldn't be God. (laughs) We would be God. If we understood everything, then we're God. And so even in kind of a backdoor way, he was helping them understand God. And this leads to that God is mysterious. We won't always understand God. But again, if we do, then can he really be God? If we can totally comprehend him. And he began to get below the surface in this hospitality and and ministry of conversation. Their gods were hostile and feared. And he talked about this God who loves everyone. And there are some things that he said, This is like God. The the three-leaf clover is like God. But in this sense, he contrasted. He contrasted and said, no, these gods, why would God want to be a God to be feared? He's a God to be loved. They had gods of nature. And he said, rather than gods of nature, that he is the creator of nature and the sustainer of nature. He is... He is given then us to be stewards of this creation. And we are to be the caretakers of it. And that God reveals himself to us through the nature, like David had spoke to. And so he speaks to his people through nature. All right, let me just stop there, and any questions that you might have or insights. Eastern Christianity, I'm repeating for the tape. um, Eastern Christianity claims the Celtic. Yeah, in the
2: dispute with Rome. Okay, but here's the major point. My recollection is Irish Christianity is profoundly communal. That is, if you're a serious Christian, you join a monastery. Now, Scottish, in contrast, was swept by Protestantism, and so it became much more individualistic. Now, look at alcohol for a moment. The Irish monk can drink without much fear, presumably, because you're drinking in a community and hopefully the community is there to care for you. Once we become more individualistic, drinking is another matter. So the Scots tend to become abolitionists, more at least in the United States. And the Irish, when they become less communal, become more alcoholics. But my major point is um, Irish Christianity, if I understand it right, following St. Patrick and others and all that you've been saying, was profoundly communal. Whereas the other kind was more, am I loyal to the head guy? Uh, This was, Irish was, and instead of splitting into two churches, they came together in England.
0: Yeah, the, the Celts very much were communal, and, and as long as these, the St. Patrick and St. Columba influence, that did go into Scotland and England. Um, and So it is very powerful, and, and if I could give you the five B's, the five B's of their evangelistic process, the first B is to belong to the community, as you're saying, John. And this was so different than the typical approach. In other words, in the typical approach, you have to become baptized or be a believer before you can belong. And they were saying, no, come and belong. And then it is through the belonging that you believe. The second B is belief. Because once they've joined this community, even though they may not have had a relationship with Christ yet, they're seeing Christ every day lived out in a community. And then they say, there's something here, now I must believe. And then the third B follows is baptism. That baptism follows belief. And then the fourth B was, now I behave. I behave differently. And the the, the traditional way about it was, I have to behave differently before I can belong. And, and we, we get that backwards. It's our faith that changes our behavior, not our behavior changing our faith. And then the last B is that we become. That because of our belief, because of our belonging, because of our baptism, because of our behavior, we actually become this disciple of Christ. And that's the five B's that they, that they approached on this. Okay. Uh, what what I'd like to do, is there, yeah, go ahead. History of Patrick. Yeah, what struck me about the history of Patrick that you described is he became familiar, immersed, fully understanding of the culture of these pagan, barbaric people, and from that, he gained a deeper understanding of the extent of God. Which is to say, there may be some barbarian over there, and maybe there's something we can learn about God understanding that person. It, it, uh, I Absolutely. Maybe, so it's a remarkable thing, actually. Absolutely, that happened time and time again. It's, a, it's an outstanding point. They would always say that we have to have the scriptures, though, to make sure that what we're learning is, is Christ-centered and, and biblical. But, not, but there's sometimes that, that we read the scripture, and until that, that pagan barbarian shows something, we don't see it in the scripture. And, and so, not to say that the pagan barbarian should be placed in authority over the scripture, and that's not what you're saying at all, but... We can learn from them if we go and we live. It's an excellent point. Well stated. All right, what I'd like to do is I'd like to switch out here for a second and uh, help us walk the last few minutes together uh, through. Let's see here. Let's enter into a time of prayer. See if I've got this. Here we go. So the way that we do this is that it's kind of a leader in response, and and I will be leading, and you will be saying that part that is in italics. And then as we go through this there's going to be some times in which we are to pause. And that's, that's indicated by the three dots at the end. So like in that first se- segment there, uh, that you're going to say, Amen, Holy Father, have mercy. And we'll pause for a few moments for you to interact with Christ. And so each, each one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at each point. And I think, you'll, I think you'll catch on as we go, but let's just enter into a time of, of experiential prayer, and I'll walk you through it, and don't worry if you don't get it exactly right as we go through, it's okay. I'll, I'll lead you through it. So we'll stay, say together, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now I say, this one thing I ask, now all of us together, that I might dwell in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life, so I might be able to serve and enjoy Thee for all of eternity. And I'm going to change this to the plural. We seek the Lord our God. Now I ask you, do you seek Him with your whole heart? Amen. Holy Father, have mercy. Do you seek him with your whole mind? Amen. Holy Jesus Christ, have mercy. Do you seek him with your whole soul? Amen. Holy Spirit, have mercy. Do you seek him with your whole strength? Amen. Holy, three in one, have mercy. It is right and proper to seek the Lord our God. For thou alone, holy Jesus, have the words of eternal life. I have come to know and believe thou art the Holy One of God. This day, O Holy Spirit, go before me, illuminating and guiding my path. Where do you need? Now we're going to stop after each one. And where do you need his illuminating and guiding today? Silently where you are. Now will enter into the seconds. This day, O Holy Spirit, go behind me, guarding my every step. Where do you need to be guarded at? What do you need to be guarded from? This day, O Holy Spirit, go beside me on the left as my purifying conscience. Where does your conscience need to be purified? This day, O Holy Spirit, go beside me on the right as my wise counselor. Where do you need counsel? This day, O Holy Spirit, go above me to shield and enlighten me. This day, O Holy Spirit, go beneath me to uphold me when I grow faint. This day, O Holy Spirit, go and be all around me to protect me from all harm. This day, O Holy Spirit, go within me to comfort, strengthen, and encourage me. Where do you need comfort, strength, and encouragement? Moving on, this day, O Lord Jesus Christ, be in the ears of all to whom I speak. May they hear thy words, not mine. Who will you be speaking to today? This day, O Lord Jesus Christ, be in the minds of all with whom I converse. May they think thy thoughts, not mine. This day, O Lord Jesus Christ, in the hearts of all with whom I encourage on their faith journey. May they feel Thy love more than mine. This day, O Lord Jesus Christ, be in my ears, empowering me to hear all Thou speakest to me through others' voices. The services today. Conversations around meals. Who will be speaking to you? This day, O Lord Jesus Christ, Be in my eyes, empowering me to only gaze upon what is pure and good. Where does God need to shape your eyes to gaze upon? More importantly, what not to gaze upon. This day, O Lord Jesus Christ, be in my mind, empowering me to only think Thy thoughts about all I encounter this day. This day. O Lord Jesus Christ, be in my heart, empowering me to love both the difficult and the lovely as Thou hast loved me. Who is it difficult for you to love? This day, O Heavenly Father, may all of my efforts affirm thy call on my life may all i do and say be a reflection of thy holy son may all i endeavor be empowered by the holy spirit may my heart continually be lifted up to thee and my hands extended out to thy children in need this day O holy trinity attends to the needs of all who need thee as Savior and Lord. We'll stop there and reflect upon who it is. And on these last ones, you can out loud name someone as we go through, or you can say it in your own heart. moving to the second one. This day, O Holy Trinity, attend to the needs of all who need Thee as Comforter. Who needs a Comforter today that you know of? This day, O Holy Trinity, attend to the needs of all who need thee as healer, who needs healing. This day, O Holy Trinity, attend to the needs of all who need thee as counselor, day, O Holy Trinity, attend to the needs of all who need thee as provider. Join me. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that's a Celtic style prayer. And I think that it's time for us to head over to our Celtic-style worship. (laughs) Thanks. We'll be back next week. We'll talk about uh, St. Columba, Iona, uh, and continuing to move on.